And there we go. And we, we've just done a whole bunch of weeks, six weeks plus Sophisos preached last week, which was excellent. If you didn't hear it, I encourage you to listen to that. And it's, it's, it's all about um, how we worship, I mean, about our grace gifts. And part of our worship is, is to bring our grace gifts to God for His glory and for the benefit of the church. So worship is a massive subject. And I want to say this, worship is a way of life. It doesn't end when we stop singing. When you stop singing on a Sunday, worship doesn't stop. Worship is a way of life. It's how you live your life. Um, bringing our gifts to God is an act of worship. The reason that we take up our tithe and offering during worship, because the tithe and offering in itself is an act of worship. Um, there's an old saying that says this, don't come to church to worship, come worshiping to church. Because we recognize God as God all week, we don't set aside Sunday to start worshiping and then stop when we leave church. We worship all week long, and then we come here, and it's an overflow and expression of our worship. Because worship is more than a song. It is a connection to a spirit. It's the spirit of God connecting with ours. Um, Not only that, but worship is a form of warfare. If you are going through something right now, if you want to overcome, if you've got a struggle, then one of the best ways to overcome is worship. Because when you're in the presence of God and put things in perspective, God is bigger than the thing that you face. So worship is key. So today we're going to be talking about why we worship the way that we worship at church. Why does City Hill do what we do the way we do it? What is the difference between praise and worship? As a church, we have praise and worship. Um, What does the Bible teach us? What do our worship leaders trust God for? And where are they taking us? So um, just an introduction. This is, I'll skip that part, I realize. Jason oversees our worship at City Hill Church, oversees the the, the entire worship ministry. And and Paula has led the worship team, and she's one of our uh, worship leaders here. And she's been leading since we planted, and she has an absolute passion for worship. I can tell you one thing about Paula. Worship doesn't stop when we leave church. It happens all week long. So worship is a way of life. So before we get into it, have you got microphones? Uh, Jason, personal question. When did you first start leading worship, and how did it happen? Um, yeah, first started leading worship probably in the 90s. Um, I was involved in a church plant up in uh, Clarence and on the Lesotho border. So um, the church grew really quickly, and uh, there was necessity for actually lots of little village churches and stuff. So I was leading worship, actually mostly um, in Lesotho songs as well, so it was different styles. Um, and yeah, that kind of happened out of, I'd been overseas for a while and wasn't really too sure what to do and decided to kind of volunteer in this church plant. And so it kind of grew out of that. And, 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 and you playing the guitar? Because this morning was, all of us were loving the presence of God. So God's graced you with a gift. And when did you start playing the guitar? Um, when I was 19 or 20, I went um, over to the UK, wanted to travel and surf. And while I couldn't surf, I decided to buy a guitar when I was in London and a chord book. And so 19. learn how to play guitar. So, yeah. so, so I think it's, it's, it's never too late to start playing something. If you feel God's put something on your heart to get involved. Uh, Mapola, what is your journey? How long have you been leading worship? Um, I've been leading worship since we've planted the church, I suppose. Um, is that my mic? Sorry. Um, yeah, I got saved in the early 2000s, and I just, my journey is I um, never really sang before that. I loved singing and I loved music, but um, 
Yeah, I just, when I was in worship, I just really experienced God in a tangible way. Yeah, then I became part of the choir in Hillcrest because I was encouraged by one of the um, worship leaders. And she heard, she used to hear me singing next to her when she was not on the stage. And then I was part of the team in Westville as well. And one of the sound guys kind of heard me and encouraged me there. And then we planted the church. And I think those little encouragements along the way really build into you. Um, so yeah, don't stop encouraging. And if you have been encouraged, fan that into flame. Amen. Um, so Jason, by definition, a leader takes people somewhere. You're a leader because you're taking people somewhere. So as the worship leader of our church, City Hill Church, where are we going? And what is your objective as the worship leader of our church? I think, um, we chatted about this analogy the other day, um, I heard a really great analogy. Cool. <laughs> I heard a, a really great analogy a little while ago on um, on leading worship and leading a congregation because um, there's no we're all just worshiping. We all have unlimited access to to worship God, um, but in the context of kind of singing and doing worship the way we do, there's this guy talking about. Um, being a tour guide and taking people to a place where they can see this incredible view. And he spoke about kind of, you know, guiding people up a, a mountain to have this majestic kind of view of this open vista. And um, the role of a worship team or people leading worship in a church context would be to do that, to, to kind of take people to a point where, they're, where, we're, where we're encountering God together. And it's, it's not at all about the worship team or the singing or the songs. This, but um, I think that's, that's the goal for us um, at City Hill, an, an ongoing goal for us in the worship team as well, is to, mm. is to continually encounter God, get a revelation of his goodness, of his mercy, of his grace, his kindness, and then to try and um, consciously remind us of that in, in the space of worship. That's awesome. So, so the, goal, the goal of the worship leader is not to draw attention to the worship leader, it's to take the people to a place where they can see God clearly and connect with God. And I think that's awesome because we, we don't want to be a, a church that's all about, you know, a display of who's up. The reason that they are here is so they can lead by example. And then as we follow them, we end up seeing the view of where God is taking us. Can so, I just yeah? jump in there? I think from one thing that is so encouraging to us when we are up here is to hear the congregation engaging and singing and praising God. It's not about like the Paula show or the Jason show or the um, whoever else is up here show. It's a hearing and seeing and being part of everyone lifting up God's name and seeing Joan walk across the stage with a flag and Raymond kneeling down and really engaging with God and everyone else. That is the encouraging. That is what we we love and long for for a Sunday. That's awesome. So as a church, we are not yet to watch them perform. We are here to connect with God through worship. And they lead us to a place where we can connect with God. So what is the difference between singing and worship? Because there's a lot of people that sing. So what is the difference between singing and worship for, for you guys? Jason. Um, the singing is something we do. I think worship is a posture as well. So it's kind of, uh, we can all sing. Anyone can sing. We, we can make a sound. Um, and we all enjoy singing. 
but maybe not all of us, but many of us enjoy singing. And um, but worship is—it's an attitude of your—it's a posture of your heart, and it, it, it isn't necessarily singing either. Yeah. That's also the other thing: is singing can be worship, but worship isn't singing. Yeah. Um, and so there's sacrifice that happens, and if you look at the Bible, all the acts of worship are often sacrificial. Um, That's right. You know, there's acts of service, there's giving, there's all of these things. So worship, um, in, in that context, is, is not singing. But when we are singing and worshiping, it's definitely to do with the kind of posture of our hearts, I think. That's awesome. Yeah, so I don't know how else to add to that. It's just, it's relational. Um, yeah, so singing, you can, you can get, use music to, to kind of stir up your emotions. Um, but when you're worshiping, you're really connecting with your father and you're giving something of yourself to him. And there's a delighting in his presence. There's um, a surrendering of your heart to him. Good. Um, because I know that we, we can be like, we can stand up, I mean, we can all sing, we can listen to ACDC in the car kind of thing, and singing is one thing, but worshiping is about intentional to connect with God. Um, so following on, what is the difference between praise and worship? Because, I mean, I know you've been in church for a while, and then you, you come to church and you hear, okay, we're going to have praise and worship now. So what is the difference between praise and worship? Um, Paula, do you want to give that an answer? Yeah, so um, praise is pretty much declaring about God and singing about God and his great works and his uh, character and attributes. And um, worship is more intimate. That's when you enter into a space where you're singing to God and um, it's becoming a lot more personal. So one is a declaration, one is an, an encounter. So we start off declaring something. And then we end with a place where we are having a personal connection. Um, Jason, you've got an awesome illustration. We were chatting before this, obviously, in prep. An awesome illustration of a picture of worship. Yeah. So I think maybe also just, a, just two, two kind of stories from the Bible, one about praise and one about worship, and yeah. kind of um, demonstrates it well to me. When Jesus came into Jerusalem um, riding on a, a kind of pony or a donkey, and the streets were lined with people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. That, that's a picture of praise. They were throwing down palm leaves and their cloaks on the ground so that the, even the kind of um, donkey wouldn't have, have to, or the foal wouldn't have to walk on um, the ground. Just public, loud declarations of praise. And, and so it's not about noisiness, but it's about an, uh, publicly declaring the praise and majesty of someone. And in kind of, even in Zulu culture, you'd have the praise singer that goes ahead of an Induna and tells all the good things they've done and, and all of their achievements. And so praise looks a lot like that. You see it a lot in the Psalms as well. But then the picture of worship was what we we're talking about. Um, the, when Jesus was reclining at dinner, also kind of in a public space. And um, that lady came, it says a lady of ill repute came with an alabaster jar and was her most valuable possession, this perfume. And she broke it open, ignoring everyone else, focused only on Jesus, went to him, broke the jar, and once it was broken, it was, you could never put the lid back on. It was done, poured it on his feet, washed his feet with her tears and her hair and this perfume, and it's, it's a real picture of adoration and worship, intimate, although it was in a public space, it was 
was really personal. And then um, I think one of the things as well, coming out of that, um, you know, people complained and, and criticized that she had wasted this thing, although it was hers to do with what she wanted. Um, there are a couple of things, that, interesting things out of it. One is that um, when they left after that night, there were only two people who smelled the same, and that was Jesus and the lady. She had, she had washed his feet with her hair, and so she was carrying that same fragrance that Jesus was carrying at that moment. So there's a real picture of encounter in worship, and I think we've experienced that, all of us. When you in those private moments of worship, there's a real exchange. It's not um, some kind of emotionally dead kind of God that we're, we're communicating with. There's a real response from him. Um, the other thing as well is that she sacrificed that thing, her most valuable possession, which was perfume. Perfume is something that you should wear or should be on you. And when she left, she was wearing what she had given away. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it's like praise can be like, oh, there's, that person's got an amazing perfume on and you smell the perfume and you think, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Worship is when we get to a place where we're embracing Jesus and then the fragrance of God is on us. So you don't, singing songs is just, you can do that from a distance. It's about the perfume. Praise is, I can smell that. And worship is actually now I've embraced Jesus. And when I leave, there's a fragrance of God on my life. It's a completely beautiful thing. We've, if you want to, Luke 7 verse 36 to uh, 38 is that scripture. Um, and you can just look at it and trust God. Think to yourself, as I have an encounter with Jesus, I sacrifice what's mine to sacrifice. But as I do, God takes that. And if anything, her sacrifice comes back to her. So when we bring what we've got to an idol, we lay it down, it's wasted. When we bring what we've got to God, God somehow multiplies it back to us because he's an awesome God and worthy Jesus. We want to leave here thinking, when people see us, even in checkers or wherever we go, they go, you've been with Jesus. There's a fragrance of God on your life. There's a glow. There's a radiance. Um, so this lady worshiped through sacrifice. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people in this room are worshiping even now through sacrifice because you're going through stuff. And you're questioning, where is God and why is God doing this and why is this happening to me? But at the same time, I worship God not because I feel like it, but because God is worthy. And when you do that, there's an encounter at church. I was thinking about it this morning. We had um, Verity came and shared a, a notice, no tears. Uh, Eleanor shared no tears. We had the three men that shared up here, Eugene, Isaac, and I. All, <laughs> um, it's amazing how God softens hearts. And he does something in our lives. And I remember when I first went to church, I used to get so embarrassed. I'd sit at the very back and hide because I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And the reason I did that was because I couldn't, I was so undone in the presence of God. And there was a divine exchange. God was healing something in me. But I felt very self-conscious. But the thing is, it was impossible for me to worship God without an emotional response. Um, I read a quote that said this, music is God's gift to expressing emotion. If you're carrying stuff, you might be carrying anxiety, you can bring that to God and express it. You might be carrying incredible joy, you can bring it to God. We can bring our emotions to God and express them. There's a scripture that Paula has on her heart. It says, it's Hebrews 13 verse 15, and I'll read it, and then my Paula, you can discuss that. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, that's not once in a while, let's continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruits of the lips, the fruits of lips that openly profess his name. Um, I love the scripture. So just to start with, it's continually to offer a sacrifice of praise. So it's um, a sacrifice because it's not always what we want to do. 
Um, we often can be in a space where um, life's not great and you're not feeling those happy, praising feelings. Um, and so it costs something to come and praise God. Um, it can also be a sacrifice because it costs you because you, you maybe not naturally inclined to want to raise your hand or jump around. And so it's stepping out of your comfort zone. So that's also a sacrifice of praise. Um, yeah, so, and we just, yeah, just when we, we kind of give in that way, God will always reward you back. Mm. Um, the fruits of your lips and openly profess his name. So I think you wanted to speak about, I am probably, I'm quite expressive often generally when it comes to worship. Um, I do do the jumping thing and I do the hand raised thing. I don't know if I do Mufasa though. I don't remember doing that one. Um, but I, there's a scripture that says the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And I find in worship, the overflow of my heart, my body seems to want to just do a whole lot of things. So when I'm in the presence of God, I just feel like this thing bubbling up inside of me and I just want to jump and I can't express it any other way. So my, my way to kind of like express back and respond to God in those moments is to do all the various different expressions. And there are various expressions. And we don't, I want to say this, we don't do what we do because we've learned a template from a charismatic expression. We do what we do because there's biblical ground for what we do. And how do you go through an emotional experience without some expression? Um, which we will get to in a moment. So Jason and Paula, why do we, when, you, when we do these things, when we express ourselves in worship, raising our hands or clapping, whatever we do, what happens when we do these things? happens what happens when we do these things <laughs> you're not supposed to look at the cheat sheet just... <laughs> um so you stumped me there i thought i'd address that one <laughs> well, well, <laughs> so i think just um first of all i'm i'm exactly the opposite of paula so don't like being kind of uh, expressing myself in public and stuff like that, yeah. So without a guitar, it's not so comfortable to be in front of people. Um, but there's, if God is who he is, and he, I mean, we, we, he is, then there, there's, there, these things are fitting responses. You, you don't come before the creator of the universe and sit there with folded arms. And sometimes responses are involuntary, they're just moments where you, you just have to kind of abandon yourself before God. And we see that like with David in the Bible and that type of thing where they were just, it's just maybe just words or songs or a physical kind of response, kneeling or lying down. There, yeah. there are times when, and I think if, if God revealed him to us, if he revealed himself to us, like it says in the Bible um, that, you know, on that day when he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's not, that won't be a conscious decision. When God reveals himself as God, the only fitting response for creation is to fall down and worship. It's not voluntary. So it's not a moment of like, okay, we realize we were wrong and or we realize we were right, we're going to kneel down. When, when his glory is revealed, 
you're on your face and you're crying out, worthy is, <laughs> worthy is the lamb, because that's the only possible response. And so right now, like on this side of, of um, eternity, we have had a glimpse of God. And so we get to choose to respond. And I think it's, it's, it's glorious. You know, we respond in faith. We see dimly, but we get a glimpse. And that glimpse is enough to stir our hearts and to, to cause us to respond. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but when I first raised my hands in church, I felt very self-conscious. I thought, well, everyone's going to just stop and stare at me because now I'm like, I, I, I felt like it's a look at me thing. And I remember a friend of mine saying, imagine a little child walking up to his father and saying, pick me up. When they're little, they put up their hands and they want to be lifted. And I, I just think to myself, maybe you're sitting in the room and during worship, you've never raised your hands before. It, I, I, I want to say this, that when you in faith go, Lord, I'm going to raise my hands in surrender to an awesome God that I cannot help but worship, there's going to, something will break over your life. And you will feel a sense of freedom that you may never have felt before. So it's not like, well, I have to raise my hands because that's what we do in this church. No, no. There's a freedom that comes when we express ourselves, when we kneel, when we clap, when we dance. When we, there is a freedom. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where, God is, where the Spirit is Lord, we, we cannot help but express ourselves. So, Mapola, what does worship look like at home for a worship leader? <laughs> so, um, well... Obviously, music and singing is involved, so there's a lot of singing, um, but there's just connection. It's, it's basically connecting with God throughout the week, um, and it doesn't always actually entail singing. It's about being intentionally just connecting with our Father, whether it be going outside and just kind of breathing and like seeing a butterfly and just like really connecting with God in that moment, um, having like being in the word and knowing who God is in spirit and in truth, making sure that we know who God is and we haven't made so that we respond to God in truth. Um, I also went through a weird phase, well, not a weird phase, but where I actually stopped listening to music. I went on a music fast, really. So, because you know, you get in your car. And you put on the music, you put on your worship music even, and it just busies your mind. And you get all emo like emotional because of the music. And I just felt like for just like a little short time, no, switch off the music and just have quietness so that I could allow God to actually speak to me and allow and create those spaces to hear him. So it all entails all of that, just the connection with God um, and intentionally pursuing Him and who He is. Yeah, because sometimes we can come to church and think this, oh, I love this song. I can connect with God. Oh, this is not a song I like. I can't connect with God. So we start regulating our ability to connect with God based on the song that's being sung or the song that's playing on the radio. But imagine it's like this, despite the song, worship will come from me. You know, and I think that as we mature in our faith, it's like, it's not about the song so much. I mean, there might be some we prefer to others. We all got our preference. But at the same time, it's like, Lord, whether they, why they've chosen that song, I don't know. But I can worship you because you're worthy of worship. So it's not about our favorites. It's about connecting with God. Um, and I know that in, her, in our house, as soon as the guitar goes quiet or Paula stops singing, I think, uh-oh, <laughs> what have I done wrong? Because we, worship is always going in our home. And we need worship. Um, so linked to these two questions, um, how do you guys pick a song for a Sunday? And how do you pick songs for the church? Like what makes you, what made you pick today's songs and what makes you pick the songs each Sunday? I mean, 
Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I suppose it's, it's different for each worship leader, but the same at the same time. Um, so, obviously, we will pray into the Sunday service, and you'll be intentional in trying to lean into what the Holy Spirit is doing and wanting to do for that Sunday service, because you're wanting to fan that into flame, not kind of run with our own thing. Um, and so it will look like just a lot of prayer and going through a lot of different songs, and I've got a guitar, so I'll like kind of play through the songs quite a bit, and I'll kind of pr- like just trust God for a prophetic sense of what um, He wants to do on a Sunday. That's good. Yeah, and I know, Jason, if you've got Yeah, you've got else. some spiritual and practical reasons to choose songs. Yeah, so um, I think uh, as well, um, so just on a practical, from a practical point of view, um, we sing in in keys, and there's certain keys that are um, accessible to like every, men and women, for example, might sing in a different range, and there's certain keys that overlap, so it makes it a lot more um, practical for congregation to be able to sing together, and uh, rather than just maybe like listening to someone sing on the radio or whatever it is um, that you can enjoy, but so there's a lot of practical stuff in, in choosing songs that musically um, are appropriate for yeah. the, type, the type of stuff we do. Um, I think then also, like, we do consider theology as well. Like, um, there's a lot of stuff in songs that makes you feel nice, but it's a load of rubbish. <laughs> it's just like, um, like, I don't even understand what that means. Yeah. Or, like, what a great chorus, and the verses are, like, gibberish. Like, um, they point nowhere. So some of that stuff's conscious. Some, some's just, I think there's a funny story of, Sometimes it's just stuff that happens. Um, so th- there's a song we used to sing. <laughs> Paul used to sing it. Um, and in the chorus it said, let all else fade away. Um, what is that? Let all, let else, all fade else fade away. And uh, I remember being at church like maybe three or four times. And my daughter, Isabel, kept coming to me and saying, why does Auntie Paula keep singing about little elves? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what you mean. And she says, she keeps singing about little elves fade away. Little elves fade don't away. like <laughs> elves, guys. So, um, <laughs> I, I could never sing that song again. <laughs> Why we don't sing that one at church? Not bad um, theology. It's just we think of elves every time. Yeah. The little elves fading away. It's just not the same, same kind of impact. So, um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's just something like that. Like, <laughs> you, you can't do that song anymore. Maybe someone so, else so can. What's, what works for the congregation? You see, we don't want to choose songs that just happen to be trending on Christian top ten hits, and that's we just sing them at church on Sunday because they're trending. We want to make sure the theology is good, and if they're trending and they're wonderful and they sound good theology, and people are enjoying them and they're able to connect with God, because you can have a song that's so popular and trending so well. If anything, it's a distraction because it's like I just love the beat, as opposed to this draws me into the presence of God. So there's a lot of practical reasons around it's choosing songs. Also, like. You can have a, a very um, good song that's popular, that the theology is great, but it's just not a congregational song. It's complicated. It's, it's, we're looking for just something that everyone can sing um, so that we can all engage in, mm-hmm. in singing. And the other thing is like music in the day and age we live in. So yeah. we, we, we consume music from generally America, Australia, wherever it is from the Christian praise and worship type of music thing. And a lot of the time the songs are written, they're culturally relevant for that church or for that kind of group. 
And so it might be a fantastic song full of truth, but it's just not where we're at as a church. Mm. And it's not kind of um, appropriate, not inappropriate, but it's just not appropriate for the season we're in or something like that, you know. So um, there's also that, something that we can, we can like love to listen to privately, but corporately it doesn't make sense for us as a church yeah. right now. So our heart actually would be to be able to write our own songs um, at some stage. Hmm. That is something that we have discussed. And, um, yeah, could I add just one extra thing with regards to songs? (laughs) So uh, you hear a lot about teaching and into what we can sing and what we can't sing. And I've heard teaching about, oh, we mustn't sing the I, I songs and how, you know, be self-centered songs, which I I do understand that concept um, because it's about God. But there's some songs that do kind of break open and we sing about how much God loves us, and sometimes it just is, I mean, we can't just, that's not all we can sing, but singing about his love for us is truth, and it ministers to us in those moments, and I think you actually shared with me one time about how we don't go around like life just saying, God loves me, I'm so loved, I'm so loved, I'm so loved, but in the space when we sing about how God loves us, we can openly sing about his love for us. And there's just, it's just massaging in the truth about love. And, and we can only love because he first loved us. And so sometimes we actually need to sing it over us. It's good. Very good. So the, whole, the heart is to connect, you know, and we don't want to be super religious or super weird. And we're like, I know, like we, you know, we, we want to connect with the living God. So I, I realize that time has run away. And um, so Jason, just, just a couple things. And I want to just go over a short, um, a very five-verse psalm. What is the value of corporate worship? Because it, it, during COVID, a lot of people will be like, well, I can just worship from home. What is the value of actually gathering and worshiping together? So um, I, I just want to quickly add something to the previous question. Yeah. I'll, I'll be very quick. Um, also, just when we're choosing songs and thinking about a, a, a worship time together, we're looking for um, those moments like on that tour guide thing. We're, we're not looking for a song that sounds nice and can flow into the next song and whatever, those things are practical. But we're trying to get a sense of where are those moments where there are glimpses of God, where we can step aside. And the song is like an on-ramp rather than the, 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 goal, the worship isn't the song. The worship is the posture of our hearts. Good. And so the song is an on-ramp and we want to, we want to prepare with that in mind. That Good. We're, we're moving through that. So that's that. The, the value of corporate worship um, is... There's, I think, Psalm 133, where it speaks about um, blessed. Uh, uh, it's, but basically, when when brothers dwell together in unity, the, the the blessing of God's poured out, and it's like oil that runs down from the head to the beard to the robes and whatever. And so there is. We don't have to understand it, but there is. When we come together in unity, there is an anointing that is different, and um, there's a blessing that is different to when we we operate on our own. I think all of us can testify to that. Like, I know you can have a worship time on your own, but there's a different sense of God's presence when you're in a worship space corporately. Um, I think we can, sometimes the atmosphere just changes when you're in a corporate space. You can sense God's presence, and there there is just an increase in in a corporate sense. Um, I also think that uh, from from God's perspective, um, we are a body and he puts us together, and there's value in us praising him together. Um, it's a little glimpse of eternity, 
where mm. every tribe and every tongue and every nation will be together giving him, giving awesome. him glory. Awesome. I think it's the reason we're doing this today and we'll touch, is, is we want you to understand why we do what we do as a church. And at the same time, the point of the preach is to equip you and to think, actually, I'm equipped with an understanding to why our church chooses the songs they choose. What is the difference between praise and worship? What is the journey that they're taking us on? Where are we going? Who are these people that lead us? Um, I just want to cover a quick psalm. If you've got your Bibles here, I don't know if it's, it might it'd probably be on the screen. If you've got your Bibles here, turn to Psalm 100. And I want to look at, a, a quickly, a biblical model journeying through the worship process. Why do we do it the way? And I want to say this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pattern. It's not a rule. It's not like, well, you have to do it like that. But it's a pattern or a principle on how worship expression and experience happen. It says this, Psalm 100. And I want to give you, I want to look at the Hebrew words quickly of the pattern of worship that we go through on a Sunday. And for giving grateful praise, right? There's a, a Hebrew word there. And these are all Hebrew words found in the Old Testament. And the word is toda. And it means to give thanks, and the, the, the root meaning of the word Torah is a, a sacrificial form of offering, I mean worship. In other words, when we come on a Sunday, it is a sacrifice of praise. So what we do is we give up our plan to come into the plans of God, and we have this giving thanks Torah. Verse 1, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. There's a word used there for the word shout, raise a shout, it's ruah, right? And in other scriptures, you may have heard it, it says... I mean, other Hebrew words for this relating to the same thing is the word Shabbat, which means shout for joy, loudly, triumphantly, as if you've just won a victory. So if you've just won a victory, when you, if you're a big Formula One fan and you watch your favorite driver win, you, not be like, you won't be like, okay, well, that's nice. So you're, on your, you're standing up and you're exclaiming and you're happy. And that's this. It's saying this. When you enter into the presence of God, there is a shout, there's a proclaiming, there's an excitement, there's a joy. Uh, another word that you will know is the word halal. It means soul rejoice. In other words, it's not just an outward expression. It's an inward overflow of what I'm feeling. Loudly, I mean, sorry, dance, shine forth, clamorously exclaim. So we sometimes make a bit of a noise. And it's not to make a noise. Because how can you not make a noise when you're celebrating coming into the presence of an almighty God? Um, then, verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And there's a Hebrew word here, which, which is the word, which is linked to the word serve. In other words, when we serve God, even with our gifts, we serve Him with joy. We're not just coming here and we're like, oh, I have to do what I have to do because it's what I do. No, no, there's joy in my heart. And worship isn't just singing songs. It's even how I set up the coffee. And it's linked to serving and it's linked to joy. Verse 3, and I know I'm going quickly because we need to uh, get going. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And I said something to Jason, and he just kind of brought some correction, and I think that's so true. I want to say this, that God is our shepherd, and as much as we are here to serve Him, He at the same time wants to connect with us. So while we're worshiping God, God wants to connect with you. He wants you to know His presence. So we understand the order is, you are the shepherd, we are the sheep. But at the same time, the shepherd loves the sheep, and he wants to be with us. Now, now it gets into the order of worship. Listen to this. Verse 4, why we worship the way that we worship. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And remember, this is with a tabernacle in mind when Moses was writing this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. The Hebrews' words used here, listen to this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, Toda, and his courts with praise, 
Tahila. Give thanks to him, Yada, and praise his name, Barak. These are the Hebrew words. First of all, we've covered it already. It's a sacrifice. When you get up in the morning today. Okay, okay. A doctor or a nurse in the church, can you put up your hand? Any doctors or nurses? Nursing staff, could you go to the foyer? Um, Any nursing staff, just you can go to the foyer. There we go. Okay, that is that. Okay, we got people going there. Thank you, Doc. Carrying on just in terms of this. So the process of worship is Tada, sacrifice of praise. Then we move into Tehillah. We go together. We all get together and we worship in God. Then we go into the inner courts. Then we go into the Holy of Holies. Tehillah means to sing aloud. There's a process of all of us making a noise before God, singing aloud. This is community. Then we go to Yada, which is raising your hands. If you've never raised your hands, we're going to end with a song. And I encourage you in that song, raise your hands. It means to surrender, to cry out, to throw, to bless, receive, and confess. So as you raise your hands, you're saying, Lord, I want to connect with you. I've got some some stuff to confess. And at the same time, you're surrendering. And then the word Barak, that's how we end our worship. It says this, a quiet voice. It's to kneel, bow down, humility, and submission. So when we go through this order of worship, we start off with this volume and excitement and coming together. Then there's this corporate connection. Then there's a surrender as we raise our hands and connect with God. And we end in a quiet place of intimacy where we're embracing God and we are anointing Him with the oil of our sacrifice and we smell like the presence of God. There's also the word, one more word I'm going to use and I'm skipping whatever else we had. It's the word zamar, which means to play to God with an instrument mentioned over 40 times in the Old Testament. So instruments are an expression of worship. And that was a a little bit of a distracted way of going about it. But I want to say this. We want to be a a, a church that don't come here and sing songs and be like, okay, I don't like the singing part. Let's just get that out the way. But we're a church that say, actually, no, no, I start worshiping before I get there. And as I sing, I connect with the living God. And then when I finish, I listen to the preach and I'm equipped to take what I've learned into the community. And then when I go home, I continue to worship. And the way that I interact with people and the way I handle work and the way I speak and the way I live is worship to a living God. We want to be a church that when this, these guys start to play, you take over. When we get to that place where they've taken us as a tour guide, a tour guide to an amazing view, we are all just praising God. And we understand We do what we do, not because it's from some charismatic textbook, but because there's biblical order to expressions of praise. What we do is biblical and God-honoring. So I'm going to skip the final thoughts bit, um, and we're going to stand up, and we're going to end with with a song. And it's not just about the singing. (laughs) Otherwise, we've missed the point of the whole day. It's about worship. And you can have a moment right now that brings healing to your life, that brings breakthrough. Maybe you've never raised your hands. I want to encourage you, as we worship today, lift your hands, you know, lift your hands and let God break something over your life. Um, so, will the worship team, you guys, have you, are you prepared? You are prepared. They are prepared. You're going to have to get prepared. Um, and then the rest of us, won't you stand together? While we worship, I want to I sing. I mean, I want to sing. I don't want to sing. 
I, I, I do want to sing, but not in front, of, in front of you on a microphone. I want to pray. Father, I pray for this church, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will understand what worship is all about. That as we go through this process, Lord, of singing a song, it's more than a song. It's warfare. It's sacrifice. It's celebration. It's connection. It's intimacy with the living God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now as we worship you, we worship in spirit and truth. And something in us, if it's been lying dormant or dead, will come alive today in Jesus' name. That those, all of us, Lord Jesus, will leave with the fire of God. I pray, Lord, that you will do more than what we can do in a song. But we will see what it means to worship corporately, yet at the same time an intimate connection with you in private. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's give God everything because he's worth it all. Amen.